0: Hey everyone and welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. We are kicking off our summer series by choosing some of our favorite sermons from past series and we are calling this Run It Back. For week one, we are confronting our fears by studying the disciples in the storms and answering the question, what does Jesus have to say to us in moments that we are afraid and what does his presence mean for us in the midst of our fears? Follow along and we hope you enjoy this message. Well, welcome again, everyone, to Fellowship Greenville students. It is a joy to be here with you. Hello, Alex. It is a joy to be here with you tonight. I want to thank you again for being here, Fellowship Greenville students. We are officially on our summer vibe, our summer rhythm. Yeah, uh, which I get, I, get, I get really excited about. Um, so although we meet about half the times, and I encourage you to look at our schedule so you know when we're meeting and when we're not, we also increase the amount of things we're doing. So we got a lot of fun stuff this summer. Pool parties and uh, like hangout times, service days, mission trips. we got a, a ton to do. And not the least of which, right around the corner, is epic. I know you guys saw the promotion. And I'm just going to plug it. If you've never been, um, it is the retreat we do. And I, re- I would love to uh, see you there and encourage you to go. Uh, we... Um, We've been meeting as a team, we've been planning, and truthfully, uh, Mr. Dallas Greenaway in the back there, hello Dally, Mr. Dallas Greenaway and I uh, have been like trying to flesh out the sermons a little bit, and man, I think it's just going to be so powerful. Like I think, I, I'm anticipating God to move in some big ways in our hearts and your hearts. So please sign up for Epic, uh, it is filling up fast. So also, um, I want to plug our series that we're going to be in this summer. Uh, as you can see on the screen, it's called Run It Back, and um, Does anyone know how? We were talking about this before the night began. Does anyone know how to do the jerk? Anyone know how to do the jerk? Because if there was like a promotional piece, if there was a promotion for Run It Back, it would be the jerk. And if anyone is willing to like do the jerk on your Insta or TikTok and tag us, that'd be great. And we'll just like re... We'll just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Annabelle, no? Okay. Ella? Okay. How about both? That'd be great. Um, Who's raised? Someone raising a handbag there. Um, so you, may, you guys may recognize some of the uh, graphics below in our in our cool little film strip there. So this was birthed out of a conversation I had with a couple of students, Madison Paladin being one of them. I think Alex Moore might have been another. Nick Lano, may he rest in peace. He's left us for the summer. Uh, I think that, but we had a conversation. You guys were talking about something and you were asking my input. And I, and I said, literally, I just preached a sermon on this. Why don't you just go listen to the sermon? And you guys were like, Well, why don't you re-preach it? And I was like, maybe this summer I will. So we've got an entire series. Uh, We have kind of combed through the last four or five years. We have cherry-picked some of the favorite sermons from some of the favorite series that have just seemed to stand out with students over the years. For whatever reason, it just seemed to uh, land well. And so this entire summer is kind of like a Run It Back. We, we're going back to some of our favorites, uh, so we're excited about that. And tonight we are kicking Run It Back off uh, by talking about fear. Now, this, this particular one was from a puzzle piece of Jesus. I think this was like two, three years ago. I don't know. It was a series we did a while back where we like investigated Jesus and like all these different angles and how we, we try to like put this puzzle together and some pieces don't fit and we force them anyway because of our worldview, but we let Jesus define Jesus We don't get to define Jesus. It was from that series and we talked about fear and I think this is such an appropriate thing to talk about so I want to talk about it again. We are running it back tonight. All right so I think you guys know this and I've said it many many times but your generation struggles with fear. You guys know that right? Like every generation struggles with fear. That's nothing new but statistically speaking the people in this room, my wonderful and beautiful people, For as many advantages as I think your generation has, for the passion and the zeal and the the courage that I think you model, for your love for Jesus and being so open with your faith, for all the wonderful ways you express yourselves, one of the things that does seem to be a staple for you guys more than any other generation is worrying or being fearful about things, being fearful about life, uh, anxiety. Those things are off the charts uh, with your generation. I think you guys know that. And so I think it'd be great to talk about fear. And what does Jesus have to say to To fear. What does the Bible have to say to fear? Now, listen. Disclaimer: This is not a sermon that is making the claim like, "Hey, if you wrestle with anxiety, this will cure it all." That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, Because I think anxiety and fear and worry is such a multifaceted, complex thing. I don't think there's any one sermon or one message or one idea that's going to be the the magic cure, right? But but I do think a lot of um, the things we worry about are due to our worldview, and our worldview is due to the things we allow to control us. And fear has this amazing tendency to control us if we let it and to feed the monsters that don't exist. And so I want to talk about fear tonight. So if you're in the room and you worry, if you're afraid of things, if you, if you allow fear to kind of conquer you at times and have a foothold in your life, um, we're going to talk about it tonight. Because really what fear is, is, is turning the what-ifs into what-is. It's like, hey, we don't know this is going to happen, but it becomes a reality in our mind we're worried about this thing that hasn't even happened yet but we're giving it energy in the here and now it's it's turning the what ifs into what is and so we're going to we're going to talk about that tonight and i want to begin with a story about one of my children as as i'm sure you guys i have a family i have kids and i know it's a shocker that i'm going to share a story To make some point that eventually becomes this overarching theme in the message that somehow my personal life becomes biblical truth. I know, it's crazy. I don't do that every week. But we're going to do it tonight. Um, So listen, a few years ago I was watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse with my son Trent. Yeah. Or this might have been Mickey Mouse Racers. I can't remember which, but it's one of the two. But we were watching one of those Mickey Mouse Clubhouse shows, and this particular episode uh, was about a gorilla that escapes from the zoo. Serious. And Mickey and his squad rally up, and they get Minnie and Donald and Daisy and Goofy and Pluto. This has always confused me. Pluto's the only only animal in this whole thing that doesn't talk, right? You You guys ever notice Pluto's a dog, but he's a dog. Like the mice and the ducks and the cows, and they all talk and they have personalities. It's kind of weird. But Pluto's there too. And then Petey, Petey who's like sometimes a bad guy but sometimes good, he's there. So Mickey's got his squad. He's, he's rallied them together and they're going on this gorilla hunt. And there's this one scene where Mickey and Petey are together and they're standing outside of this like garage or workshop type thing. And they, they're finding evidence that the gorilla was there. But they can't see the gorilla. The gorilla's up in the tree. And the gorilla is looking down at Mickey and Petey. And I don't know why the animators did this, but if you know, like, this is the gorilla, okay? doesn't look that scary, right? Okay, but put, your, put your, your mind in a three-year-old's mind, okay? I don't know why the animators did this, but they gave this gorilla such a heavy brow. And it, like, goes down in the middle. And there was this one scene when the gorilla's up in the tree. And the way that it was looking at Mickey and Petey with that brow was like... And then it has these, like, fang you know, like fanged teeth that come out, and you know, for a moment, it did kind of look scary, and Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, for whatever reason, put intense music in this scene, which, which basically means they removed the slide whistle. You know, that thing, like they took that out of the music, and it becomes intense, and I wasn't thinking anything of it. It's Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, but I remember my son Trent, three years old, he, he asks me, he says, Daddy, uh, can we watch something else, please? And I, like, I look down at him, and I realized what's going on, and he's seeing this gorilla in this tree with this heavy brow and these teeth coming out and the music, and Mickey and Petey don't see him, and it's all intense. And for a three-year-old, this kind of became scary. He was afraid. Now, while I was—look, I, w- I want to be honest with you something— I don't blame him as a three-year-old for being afraid. You know, you can't control what seems scary to to a child. But let me just show you real quick. When I was trying to hunt down this photo, I came across, this is real, in 1930, there was a Disney thing called the Gorilla Mystery. That's what the gorilla looked like in 1930. You want to talk about scary? Dude, I don't know what the animators were thinking putting this up for kids, but in 1930, the animators thought, you know what we should do? We should make them salivate and have like huge fangs and like dripping death growl and claws that almost like engulf Mickey's, or I guess that's Minnie. That's even worse. Like gorillas going for Minnie. You're going for the girl right there. Like that was the gorilla in 1930. And apparently Disney was like, yo, we should just keep this theme going and just have a gorilla for every generation that seems terrifying. But the one I showed you a minute ago was the one for our generation. doesn't seem that scary. But again, three years old. All right, three years old. Y'all better be lucky you're not growing up in the 1930s. You, you guys think you've got it rough? Imagine 1930s kid watching, like looking at that thing. That's why they're so tough, man. Y'all ever notice that generation can persevere through anything? Well, I guess they're not alive anymore, so, except for life. I, I knew <laughs> I knew some people from that generation. <laughs> they couldn't persevere through death. But other than that, they were tough, and this is why. Okay, so my son. All right, a couple months after we're watching that episode, I'm putting him to bed one night. Months. A couple months, I'm putting him to bed. And we're doing this whole back and forth. Good night, Daddy, I love you. Good night, Trent, I love you. Good night, Daddy, I love you. Good night, Trent. And every time it's a step backwards. Like I, I got to get out of the room. And all of a sudden he goes, uh, Daddy... Can the gorilla get in the room? And I'm like, gorilla? Did someone say yes? Did someone say yeah? (laughs) Yeah, that's jacked up. That's messed up. That's really messed up, man. Yeah, buddy, it can, and it will eat you. Wow. Dude, pray for this man's kids. Who is that, Marcos? Oh, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Marcos, keep your shirt on, dude. Keep your shirt on. Okay. All right. Mm. little throwback, throwback to last week. Um, two weeks ago. So he asked me, he says, can the gorilla get in the room? And I'm not, I'm not registered. It, remember, it's been months. And I'm like, gorilla? And he's like, yeah, daddy, the gorilla. Can it, can it climb the tree outside of my window? Can it come through the windows? I'm like, no, no. And then all of a sudden it's clicking what he's talking about, oh, the gorilla, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse gorilla. And for my three-year-old son, what at one point was fictional became reality, became a legitimate fear. The non-existent became existent. It didn't matter if it's real or not, it was real to him. And he's feeling the weight and the gravity and the fear that this is an actual possibility. No amount of logic in that moment, like to sit down with him and be like, buddy, like there's these things called animators and they come up with like these pictures and then the pictures like combine together and they make an animator. Like no amount of logical discussion at that point would have helped him be less afraid. The one thing he needed to hear was nobody. That gorilla cannot come through the windows. In fact, there's no gorillas near our home. And buddy, you know, mommy and daddy are here. You're safe with us. My son turned a fictional into reality because of fear. He allowed fear to feed something that wasn't real, and it became real. And in our lives, I would propose that we do that exact same thing. Now, it may not be a Mickey Mouse Clubhouse gorilla. I highly doubt it for this room. Although maybe like one or two of you is like, dude, that 1930s is going to stick with me when I go home tonight. Like I thought Stranger Things season four was rough. 1930s Disney, as rough. But what is it for you? <laughs> hey, what is it for you? We all have a tendency to maybe create 800-pound gorillas out of thin air. And we all have a tendency to maybe imagine them right outside of our window. What is it for you? What's the thing that carries tons of weight in your life that you are allowing it to grow and you are feeding it with fear? Because fear is a monster and it feeds off of your energy and focus and what becomes fictional eventually becomes reality for you. Fear is this amazing thing. And sometimes fear is really, really good. It alerts you, it lets you know there's danger. But oftentimes fear is one of these things where we are literally feeling the weight and the pressure and the concern and worry and anxiety of 800-pound gorillas that don't exist? Do you do that? And if you do that, where do you invite Jesus into that? What does Jesus have to say to your fear? What does Jesus have to say to your 800-pound gorilla outside of your window? Is there anything we can learn from the Bible about how Jesus helps us Manage, embrace, move forward in the midst of, or reorient our worldview when it comes to fear? I think so. So, we are going to study a passage of scripture. Actually, we are studying, well, we're going to look at two, possibly even three different stories tonight. I know what you guys are thinking, Matt. You always go long and you're You have the ambition of three, I get it, I get it, but we're going to do it tonight. Okay, We're going to look at three different stories tonight, and they all kind of tie together. This is going to be in the Gospel of Mark, we're going nowhere else except the Gospel of Mark. Go ahead and turn there, Mark chapter 4, that's where we're going to be tonight. Right at the very end of Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, there's this story, maybe you've heard it before. We are in a series which is repeating sermons, so you might have heard it before if you've been here in the last three or four years. But we're going to be there tonight again. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Jesus and his disciples are about to get on a boat, and they are about to cross the Sea of Galilee, which is a fairly large body of water. It's not like an ocean, but it's fairly large. And it is surrounded geographically with two differing uh, landmarks. On the right, you have a desert. And really, really warm winds from the desert come rolling in, and on the left you have the Mediterranean Sea, and cooler air from the sea rolls in. And those combination of hot and cold airs create storms pretty frequently. And beneath the Sea of Galilee you have these uh, kind of regular tectonic shifts, which kind of stir the whole thing up anyway. And so storms were a regular part uh, of the Sea of Galilee. And if you've ever been to the state of Florida, which i got to admit, I, I don't know why people choose to live in Florida. That is a like a visiting state. I don't know about a residential state. That's just my take on it. But if you've ever been there, then you know every afternoon a storm pops up, right? It's like sometimes the weather is just right to create a regular thing. And storms were pretty regular even today around the Sea of Galilee. But what we're about to read is no regular storm. This is like a mega storm. And the disciples become afraid. So, let's start. Verse 35. On that day when evening had come, typically evening was supposed to be a little bit calmer. That's why most people did their fishing in the evening, but tonight, not so. This storm is stirring up. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side, insert Sea of Galilee there, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. So, Jesus got in the boat. Now, what's interesting about this story is, If you guys have ever read the New Testament, you know that um, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew rolled with Jesus. He was one of his disciples. John rolled with Jesus. He was one of his disciples. Mark did not roll with Jesus. Mark's like second-generation Christian. He was discipled by Peter. Peter rolled with Jesus. But Mark is writing from the stories that Peter has told him. Luke did not roll with Jesus. Luke was like a physician detective, and he went back and just started interviewing everyone who had interacted with Jesus and wrote all that down. But the Gospels record This story, multiple Gospels record this particular story, which is interesting because that's rare. They don't always include the exact same story. But this one pops up multiple times, which is the Bible's way of saying to us, this is significant. This one matters. Not that the others don't, but this one carries some weight. There's something here that needs to be repeated over and over and over again. And so Jesus gets in the boat. The Gospel of Matthew phrases it that way. He gets in the boat. That phrasing is important. Jesus is in the boat with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. So let's pause. Jesus has been teaching all day, he's been doing ministry. Towards evening time, he looks at his disciples, he says, Hey, let's cross over and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They all get in the boat together. Jesus gets in the boat with them and there are other boats around them. So this like group of boats carrying Jesus and his disciples and some other people are traveling across the Sea of Galilee. The storm did not exist yet. They didn't get into the waters when they were raging. They got into the waters probably calm like most evenings there were. And somewhere in the course of their transition from end to end, coast to coast, the storm swells up and the Bible says that this was a great storm. This is a great storm. In this little passage, in these few verses, that word great is used three different times. The first time it is used is to describe storm. And that is the Greek word megas, which is where we eventually get our word mega from. So this wasn't like, oh, this is a big storm. It's a bad storm. It's a normal storm. They were used to normal storms. This is a mega storm. Like it's the Bible's way of telling us this is unusual. This is different. You have in this boat professional fishermen, commercial fishermen. They've been on the Sea of Galilee their whole lives. They have navigated storms. And as we're about to see, they are terrified. This is no normal storm. This is a mega storm, a great storm. So the storm starts to stir. Verse 27 says, The windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. It's not just like the boat was rocking back and forth. The waves were coming up over the boat and beginning to fill the boat. So get it in your head. Get the scene in your head. Imagine it. It's nighttime. The wind is stirring. The noise is increasing. It's loud. The rain starts to come. It becomes horizontal. The waves start crashing in. You got people running around with buckets trying to dish the water out. It's coming in faster than they can get it out. The boat that they're in is probably about 27 feet long. It's not huge. It's not a canoe, but it's not huge. And maybe four feet across. This is not like, oh, we can, it's not the Titanic. They're well, Titanic sunk. That's a bad example. This is not like a huge, man, We need to edit some of this podcast later. This is not a huge, huge boat, is my point. And the disciples are in the midst of this. And the wind is rising. And the volume is increasing. You you guys ever been, like, in a storm storm? I don't don't mean just like, oh, a pop-up storm. I'm talking like, have you ever been terrified? Anyone? Like, for real, for real, terrified. Anyone? Few of you guys? I have. It's terrifying. The one thing, guys, I've been... I've been backpacking and hiking for years and years and years. I've had some really weird encounters on the trail, sometimes with bizarre people who I literally thought, they are murderers out here. Like, literally. And I've prayed in the name of Jesus, protect us, because I've met some creepy people. And I've uh, had dangerous animals nearby, close by. Um, Yeah, bears, I mean, cougars, all of it. I have never been as scared in the mountains as I am when the weather turns really, really bad. Like, there's something in me that's like, yo, I mean, if I really had to fight off a grizzly, I could. I couldn't. Like, let's get that straight. I couldn't. I would be ripped apart. But in my mind, I could. You know what I mean? It's like, I could. (laughs) Grab a chanker (laughs) chanker hip, handkerchief, put him in a chokehold, bring him down. Like, in my mind, I could. I know that wouldn't happen. But the one thing I absolutely feel defeated by, no matter what, there's no, like, false bravado. There's no confidence. If I'm in a terrible storm, I'm scared. Because it's like, there's nothing I can do. I'm at the will of the weather, and that's a terrifying feeling. I was at the beach recently for a little summer vacation with my family, And, and for all the strength or bravado or courage people think they have, when you get out just to four feet in the ocean, you realize how easy it is to toss you around. No one can stand their footing. Eventually, there's a wave that will knock you off balance. The weather is powerful. And weather terrifies me when it goes bad. I've been in storms where I was so afraid to even look at the sky because the lightning was on top of me. It's striking everywhere around me. The thunder is deafening and all we could do is just run as fast as we could into the forest. It is terrifying when you're in the midst of those type of storms because you're at the mercy of whatever's gonna happen. You can't control it. And the disciples are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee at night. It's dark. The wind is blowing howling they're screaming to hear each other they're trying to dish water over waves are crashing in and they are terrified this is it this is where we die it's going to be like this I can't I thought we'd live a little bit longer and this is it they are literally at the end of themselves and they think their life is over don't know if you've ever been there where you thought this is it this is it one time in my life one time I was in bad enough circumstances where I wrote a note to my wife just in case I never saw her again one time it's rare they're in this moment where they think this is it we're dead and they start looking around for jesus in the midst of their confusion in the midst of their fear in the midst of their panic and trying to get water over and screaming to each other in the wind and the boat tossing and and rolling over and they're losing footing and they're getting knocked over they start looking for jesus where is he because he's the clutch player if anyone can do something it's, where where is he? Where is he? They're screaming, they know, they're looking in, into each other and it's dark, and they're like, "Where are you? Have you seen him? No, I haven't. Have you seen, No, where is he?" And they start looking for Jesus. And where is he? Verse 38. "But Jesus was in the stern, asleep, on the cushion. It's almost like Mark, suppose like Mark wants you to know, hey, he's not just asleep. Your boy's cozy. Like that little note about the cushion, it's kind of, it's like, yeah, it wasn't necessary, but it's there. It's like, oh, you got a little cushion. Like, you think you could maybe help us for a second? Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat on the cushion. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, okay, I mean, that's what, okay, that's weird, but that's what it says. No, put yourself in the scenario. This isn't just like weird Bible thing. This is weird. Like dude, this boat is about to sink. It's about to capsize. Rule number 1 in the midst of a storm, you probably shouldn't sleep in a boat that's going under, right? Like Jesus, you don't feel the waves rocking you? Dude, there ain't no way he's asleep. The boat is literally like this. You think Homies, you think Homies that limp? No. So what but he's out. He's asleep. And the disciples are looking for him and they find him sleeping on a cushion and they're like, "Yo!" What, this is where you, I mean, the lightning, wind waves. This is where you've been? Now, most times that I read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, most times I'm astounded by how confused the disciples regularly were by Jesus. Because we're on this side of the cross, right? Like we, we get it. We have a little bit more understanding. We have the Holy Spirit. They're figuring it out for the first time, like in real time. So they're often confused, they're often perplexed. And usually I read the gospels and I'm like, man, how did they miss it so often? But this time, this is one of those times where I'm reading the story and I'm like, I think the disciples should get some kind of pass. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, I'm kind of on team disciple here. They're dying, the storm is raging, and the one person who seems to be able to help them is asleep. It's strange. Like, you, you, you feel that tension, right, in the story. Like, you feel the awkwardness of, like, why would Jesus, why is he asleep? So what's going on? The disciples wake Jesus up, which was a bold thing to do. If you've ever woken up someone, you know how terrifying that is? You guys ever woken up like you guys ever accidentally wake up your dad or something? He just snaps at you for night and takes him like a good 12 seconds to like phase into reality. Oh my bad. I'm sorry I punched you in the nose. You startled me, you know? They wake Jesus up and they have the audacity to ask him this question. The disciples are rebuking Jesus. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You don't care that we're dying. Now, we know this answer, right? Does Jesus care about the disciples? Yes or no? Yes, yes we know that answer. That's a clear answer. But in the midst of a storm, with the wind howling and the lightning striking and the thunder rolling and the waves tossing and the ship filling and sinking, the Bible says, I think it's pretty easy to see why the disciples got here. Don't you It'd be one thing if Jesus were up on the deck with a bucket, like throwing out water, like, guys, I'm trying my hardest. But when they find him, your boy is catching some Z's on a cushion. <laughs> Frustrating. You guys ever had a group project and you're working your tail off and someone's lagging behind and you realize, hey, you realize, you realize that, hey, they're not even trying their hardest. They literally have been like playing Fortnite every night of the week and then they have the audacity to come to to come to the meeting and be like, "Hey guys, I'm sorry. I've been a little tired. Been a little behind this week." No, you haven't. Let me see your screen time. Let me see your screen time right now. You've had the hours. You put them elsewhere. Hey, this is where they're at. Like, Jesus, we're out we're up on deck. We're dying. The storm's rolling, and we couldn't even find and you're in don't you care that we are dying? What does Jesus do? I mean, have you ever been there? Like, I highly doubt there are many sailors in this room, although maybe. But haven't you ever been in a circumstance where the context of your surroundings are convincing you that you are overwhelmed and you are defeated and you are perishing and there is no hope? And haven't you ever have you ever been in a place where you're like desperately seeking Jesus, but you just can't seem to find him? have you ever been so overwhelmed with life that it feels like Jesus is kind of asleep on you? Like you're praying and just nothing seems to happen. You don't feel heard. You don't feel connected with God. Your circumstances are overwhelming. The wind is howling. The waves are swelling. It feels like your life is being flooded and sunk in the moment. Like, haven't you ever been there? And you're searching for Jesus. It's not like you're like, well, I don't even need him. You're searching for him, and it just feels like, where are you? Does anyone relate to that, or is it just me? Like, this is a, this is a moment. And yes, the Bible wants us to understand that this is about a storm, but there's principles here that are about life. It's like, sometimes it just feels like, Jesus, do you not care? If you turn on the, the news for 15 minutes... I guarantee you, you will begin to ask that question. Don't you care about all these things, these evil things happening in our world, these tragedies that are happening right now in our country in the last two weeks? Like, And it can just feel so overwhelming. And the fear, the fear of drowning in the midst of this chaos, the fear of, feeling so overwhelmed by your circumstances crashing in on you, the fear of feeling like you can't find Jesus or feeling like Jesus is asleep, all of that fear begins to create realities for you that are simply not true. And we begin to turn the what-ifs into what-is. We begin to create 800-pound gorillas outside of our window. Jesus, don't you care? Of course I do. We know the answer to that. But when you're in the midst of the storm, all of a sudden that question kind of takes on a different form. Because it seems like maybe he doesn't care after all. Fear begins to create realities out of fiction. It's the power it has. What does Jesus do? Verse 39, he awoke and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And like that. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Like, if you can imagine that moment. Uh, My kids, all three of my kids, they sleep with these, like, white noise machines in their room. Same. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They sleep with these white noise machines in their room, and every morning they're kind of in sync with when they wake up. And so literally our upstairs goes from this to this because it all shuts off at the same time. In the midst of this storm, the waves crashing in, the wind is blowing, and Jesus gets up and says, be still, and all of a sudden everything goes, calm. It's the second time the word mega or great is used in the passage. Jesus rebukes the weather, and the wind ceased, and there was a great Calm. I'm talking silence, like the waters which were raging in this mega storm are now flat and as still as a mirror. And the sky above, with every star out because the clouds are moving away, are reflected in this mirror surface before them. And they are in immediate silence and immediate calm. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, why are you so afraid? And it's kind of like, Jesus, what are we supposed to do with that question? Like, again, if we're reading this passage, I got to be honest, I'm kind of on team disciple. I don't blame them for being afraid. They're in a hurricane, and you're snoozing in the stern. Like, you know why they're afraid. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? That's an important word, still, because what it signifies is Jesus has been carefully trying to cultivate in his followers a sense of faith in him based on what they've seen and heard him do and say. And they've seen Jesus perform miracles up to this point. They've seen him him cleanse uh, demon-possessed people. They've seen him heal sick people. They have seen him uh, teach with authority and stir up uh, the religious institutions. They have seen him perform miracles. They have seen him heal the paralyzed. They have seen him do so many things, even from a distance. Like Jesus healed a Roman centurion's servant from a distance. It's the first time in the Gospels that Jesus didn't have to be physically there for a healing to happen because a Roman had more faith than than Jesus' followers had. And he's been doing all these things to try to cultivate in them faith in him, even when it feels like he's not there. Have you still No faith. And look at this, verse 41. They were filled with great fear. Now, what's going on there? Because you would kind of expect that verse to introduce itself a few verses before in the storm. They were afraid of the storm, but the note of being greatly afraid or mega afraid is not included until right here. And is it the storm they're afraid of now? No. It says, They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They're afraid here of Jesus. They were filled with great fear, not because Jesus kind of gave them a little like, guys, come on, where's your faith? It wasn't that. It was what they just observed him do. Now, why did that fill him with fear? Again, when we read the Bible, we have to understand the time it was written and to whom it was written. First century Israel, these these young Jewish men and women that were following Jesus, their entire framework, based on Old Testament writings, was that it is only God who can speak to the weather. All throughout the Old Testament, there were prophets of God that prayed to God to do something with the weather, make it rain, cause a drought, make fire from come down out of heaven. There were prophets that spoke to God to do something with the weather but no one has ever talked to the weather except God and God alone. And right now the disciples following Jesus have a few boxes or categories in their minds of who Jesus is and they think that he might be from God of God the chosen one sent by God the Messiah maybe. There's a few question marks there but in their minds currently there's no category for this could be God himself. And they don't know of anyone else in history to ever speak to the weather and the weather obeys except God. This is meant to take them right back to the book of Exodus when God parts the waters in front of Moses and then brings them back together again. God is the tamer of the seas and here in the midst of a squall, in the midst of a hurricane, Jesus stands up and speaks to the weather and the weather obeys and they are struck. They marvel. They are struck with a great fear who is this? Like, who am I in the presence of? They're afraid because for the first time, they're, they're being introduced to the notion that this might be God in front of us. Now, Jesus, I'm going to read the next, the beginning of chapter five. We're going to read it quickly and I'm just going to break it down. We're not going to spend as much time on it. But Jesus leaves that question there for them. They don't get to answer it. Why have you still no faith? Why are you afraid? Then beginning in chapter 5, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, so remember this passage began with Jesus stepped into the boat. Chapter 5 begins with Jesus stepped out of the boat. This is significant. I'm going to tell you why here in a minute. When Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So this is a demon-possessed man. He lived among the tombs, or he lived in the graveyard. It was his home. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He was increasingly strong due to this demonic possession. So he had chains wrapped around him, and no one could bind him. So he's, like, covered in chains. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was crying, always crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. That's a posture of worship. That's very interesting. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. If you can imagine that voice, which is actually multiple voices talking at once, my name is Legion, right? Like this demonic, very multi-voice type thing. Why is this significant? Because chapter four ends with the disciples struck with fear, asking themselves, who is this man? The next chapter picks up with a man possessed by many demons running and kneeling before Jesus, answering the question, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, what have you to do with me? When Jesus calms the storm at the very end of Matthew 4, everything calmed. There was a great calm, a mega calm. So you guys may know this, but sound travels significantly better over water than it does land, and especially still water. You guys ever been on the on the lake on a really calm morning, and you hear like something from a far distance off, like across the lake, like you can't even you can't even see where it's coming, but you're getting something. Someone's doing yard work there's a sound of a lawnmower or or, or whatever but you hear it coming over the water so imagine this you've got this demon possessed man living in a graveyard people have tried to chain him he's too strong for the chains he's got chains and shackles kind of dangling off of him he keeps breaking them He runs around screaming, always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So imagine the scene for a minute. The disciples are in the boat. They're terrified of the storm. They come to Jesus. Don't you care? Jesus rebukes the storm. Everything goes calm. He looks at his disciples. Still no faith? And all of a sudden, in the stillness of the calm, the disciples begin to hear screaming, Thank you, Milo. Yes! Yes! perfect timing dude yes the disciples begin to hear screaming wailing because the water is calm and sound is traveling much much better and they were just struck with fear over a storm and all of a sudden they begin to hear ah," in the pitch black of the night they just start to hear these these moans and cries and groans coming over the water and if they weren't scared from the storm They're definitely scared now. And if you just imagine for a minute there, what was that? What was that? Like looking off into the darkness of the water, right? What was that? And they maybe hear the jingling of the chains, the rattling of the chains. (laughs) Ah, this noise coming, what is this? Like, dude, if you can imagine being in the still of the night, the pitch black in the middle of the water, and you're kind of confused, and who is this guy, and who is Jesus? And then all of a sudden, all these other noises begin to insert themselves, and the boat is going increasingly towards them, and it's getting louder, and you realize, why are we going towards the mysterious murder noises? Why don't we move away from them? But for some reason, Jesus isn't sleeping on this one, and Jesus, and only Jesus gets out of the boat. This is why this that's significant when it says Jesus stepped out of the boat. We get no mention whatsoever that any of the disciples got out with him. They missed out on seeing Jesus usher the kingdom of God, making it a reality here on this earth. They missed out on partnering with what Jesus wanted to do to deliver this man. To overthrow the forces of evil and darkness in the world, they missed out because they were still paralyzed by fear. It was only Jesus who got out of the boat, no one else. Why? Because they're still afraid. What were these noises we heard? Why are we moving towards them? Why does Jesus want to get out? What are we doing here? This is a graveyard. They're starting to put two and two together. This is a demon possessed man. And they're hearing the voices, multiple voices coming out of this guy. And he's so strong. He's got these chains rattling over him. The disciples stayed in the boat. Fear has the ability to turn what-ifs into what-is. Fear has the ability to turn fiction into reality. And you begin to focus so much on the possibilities of things that could happen, could be, might happen, will happen, that you actually forget the reality you're in. And Jesus reminds us of that reality. He looks at his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Here's what I think Jesus means. Guys, do you still not realize I'm with you? I'm here. I'm right here. You think this boat is going to sink with me in it? I'm right here. You think this demon-possessed man is going to have anything on me, this chain-snapping Super strong, multi-possessed man? You, th- you're, you think I'm going to get conquered by this? No. The only thing that would conquer me is if I willingly laid down my own life. It's like Jesus is reminding us that his presence provides courage. His presence provides courage. It doesn't mean fear is going to be erased. I think that's silly. It's, you will never go through life fearless But you have to be afraid to be brave. You understand that, right? Like you can't be brave about something you're not afraid of. And Jesus is rallying us around this idea that his presence is what provides us courage. And he looks at his disciples and he's like, why are you afraid? Kind of an obvious answer. We almost drown. Have you still no faith? It's like, it's such a high bar. Jesus wants us to be... Acutely aware that his presence provides us with courage, not fearlessness. I'm not talking about the absence of fear. I'm talking about the presence of Jesus, which leads us to courage. Jesus sleeping in the boat does not prove that he doesn't care, which was the disciples' conclusions. It proves that he's in control. You're able to sleep in a storm like that when you know who's in control. And he's trying to help his disciples and today us understand that when life is swelling in on you and all hope seems lost and you're in the midst of the darkness and it seemed calm for a minute but now you hear demons on the water, Jesus wants you to remember that he is in control and that we have his presence. Do not let the presence of fear create the absence of faith. That is what Jesus is trying to teach us. Do not let the presence of fear create the absence of faith. Don't create 800 pound gorillas outside of your window when they're not there. Fear will feed off of the what if and make it a what is. Fear will look at the context of life and convince you, this is hopeless dude, There's so much evil going on. Everything's going wrong. There is so much darkness. Look how tall these waves are. Look how much water's coming in. The boat's already halfway down. Where is even Jesus? Like, life will tempt you and convince you that Jesus doesn't care. Jesus asleep is not proof that he doesn't care. It's proof he's in control. And he's inviting us into this radical faith to have courage in the midst of our fear and lean into his control. What's interesting about Mark, Mark picks this up one chapter later, Mark chapter 6, picks this up again. Mark chapter 6, the disciples are in the midst of, you guessed it, another storm. Mark chapter 6, they're in the boat, they're in the midst of another storm, and it's a bad one. (laughs) It's another mega storm. And they're making painful headway, the Bible says. They've only been able to make it three or four miles out offshore. And they've been at it for at least nine hours. It's literally the middle of the night. It's about 3 a.m. And they have been rowing for nine hours in the midst of this storm. And they are terrified. They are overwhelmed by the storm. Sound familiar? It should. It's like Jesus keeps putting his disciples in this circumstance to help them learn, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm in control. And in the midst of this storm, after nine hours of being in it, in the middle of the night, in the pitch black, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless, Jesus decides to walk on water, literally walk on H2O, and pass their boat by. And the the disciples see this image from a distance. Maybe the lightning flashes, and they're able to see this, this image on the wave. And they all become terrified, Mark 6 says. And they think it is a ghost they cry out thinking that's a ghost we're done for they reach the same conclusion and Jesus calls them and he says take heart it's me it's me don't be afraid Jesus's presence leads us to courage in the midst of our fears Matthew picks this story up the gospel of Matthew picks this story up in Mark chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 5 the disciples were hopeless they stayed in the boat They were so terrified, man, it paralyzed them in the moment. They they could not move. They could not think beyond the circumstances. But in Mark chapter 6, in the midst of this storm, in the midst of seeing Jesus, and they think it's a ghost, one of the disciples musters some sense of, all right, all right, if it's really you, tell me to come out, and I'll walk on the water. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter, finding some ounce of courage in the midst of this storm and thinking it's a ghost, steps over the edge of the of the boat and it's rocking and swelling, and he steps onto the water and his foot doesn't plunge through and he looks at Jesus and he begins to take a step after a step after a step. And in that storm, Jesus did not calm the waves. In that storm, he didn't still the wind. In that storm, he is letting his disciples experience the full effect while having faith in him. And Peter is modeling to us what it looks like to have our eyes on Jesus in the midst of a storm. And it is only and only when Peter began to focus on the waves and the weather and the wind and the and the clouds and everything that he lost sight and began to sink, and Jesus plunged his arm in and pulled him up. But for a moment, for a moment, Peter tasted it. Ah, so that's what it's like to have courage in the midst of fear. That's what it's like to have faith because your presence is near. What do you do when you are terrified when you are so afraid of life and it feels like the wind is against you and the storm is rolling and the clouds are building and the waves are crashing and your boat is sinking and Jesus is sleeping, what is your response? Do you allow yourself to get struck with fear and begin to allow doubts and fiction becomes reality and and you reach conclusions that aren't true? Jesus, you don't care about me. That's not true. You're letting fear lead you instead of faith. Jesus is not, I don't think, inviting us into fearlessness. He's inviting us into faithfulness, trusting in him in the midst of the circumstances that are scary. But he's also inviting us to understand who he is. And these passages tell us that Jesus is the storm silencing and the hurricane hushing and the wind taking and the wave breaking. And the demoniac diminishing and the human healing man, God, who has power over the natural world and power over the supernatural world, and as we navigate in this life and everything gets thrown at you and you're going to be convinced that this world is falling apart and you're going to be convinced that spirituality is hopeless, we are reminded that Jesus controls natural and supernatural and he is in control this very day. The author of Hebrews says that the world is held together by the very power of his word. The book of Colossians says that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. And it's Jesus and the presence of Jesus that leads us to courage, not fearlessness, but courage in the midst of the scary things. The same encouragement I gave my son years ago. Daddy, can the gorilla come in? Nobody. Daddy's here. I'm here. Mommy and Daddy are here with you, Bud. you're okay. You're safe. It's like that's what Jesus is saying to us. Guys, take heart, it's me. I'm here. Have faith. Jesus has given us His presence, and He says He'll never leave us nor forsake us. In the midst of your fear, do you focus on the waves? Or do you focus on the presence of Jesus? Jesus invites us to lean into the reality that he is in control. No matter how big the waves, no matter how big the storm, no matter how scary that demon sounds, no matter how bleak the reality, no matter how dark the night, no matter what's in front of you, no matter what's around you, no matter where your mind wants to run and all of those temptations to start believing fiction as reality and create these things in your mind and find hopelessness and helplessness, Jesus invites us into this truth. I've got it. I'm in control. I'm with you. I'm holding it all together. You don't see the bigger picture, but I'm here. I've got it. I have authority in the natural. I have authority over the supernatural. It's okay. Have faith. Take heart. Have courage. Trust me. It's okay. Will you place your faith in Jesus in the midst of your fear? Will you take courage from his presence? Will you take heart? Will you lean into the truth that he is in control? That's the invitation. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for these stories which lead us to unbelievable realities <sighs> that we can have courage in the midst of fear that we are not defeated by this world that we are not that we are not undone by what we'll experience in life there is no such thing as hopeless or helpless because we have you we have your presence you've defeated the enemy you've defeated darkness You've given us life, light winds. We will be with you forever. We're just in a brief window of time where we're still feeling the effects of that defeated foe. And we pray that you would help us learn how to have courage. We pray, Jesus, that you would help us grow in our faith. We thank you that you have ever-present ever grace for us. You never grow impatient you never tire of us having to learn and relearn the same lessons and jesus for those in this room who who struggle regularly with fear and worry and feed the monster and allow fiction to become reality i pray that you would deliver them that you would give them your peace and your presence and your protection and that their eyes and gaze would be set on you no matter how big the waves We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.